1: Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode I'm joined by our forever guest for this series, the author of Work of Human Hands, Father Anthony Chicotta. Father, thanks so much for joining us.
0: I'm very happy to be here as usual, forever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Father, we're on to chapter eleven, the preparation of the gifts, new offerings, and I get a little chill. Up my spine as I read the phrase "preparation of the gifts" because it brings back those horrible memories of being in the Novus Ordo. And unfortunately, this is a ritual I participated in as a child, um, and we were a bit nervous because we've got to go up with everybody uh, watching us. You know, myself and maybe some other child under the age of twelve, and you know, we bring up the the pattern. Uh, huge the, the mega patent with uh, lots of hosts in there <laughs> and uh glass uh, glass carass of wine and you know we were nervous and everyone was watching us as, as you point out in this chapter it 's a bit of a stage performance, but that's only really one part that 's the most visible part of this this area of the Novus Ordo. people think of if I say preparation of the gifts, they think of this this procession, but really that's not that's not the big action that's going on here for us liturgically. There's a wholesale deletion. And as the revisers are want to do replacement of, of ancient texts with completely fabricated new texts. And I think what might be a good place for us to start is uh, you point out what the formula of expulsion might have been uh, because the, Old Mass had the term Mass of the Catechumens and then the Mass of the Faithful. So I thought you might start by explaining to us the distinction there, what the Novus Ordo calls it, and maybe give us a taste of what the, what the old uh, admonitions were at the
0: time that you came to the Mass of the Faithful. They weren't very oh, wow. ecumenical. Well, the the um, uh, ancient, uh, the, the, the old distinction, as you say, is between the Mass of the Catechumens and the Mass of the Faithful, and that reflects the uh, primitive Christian practice of uh, uh, allowing only the baptized to assist at the second part of the Mass, in effect the sacrificial part of the Mass. You had um, those who were catechumens who were going to be uh, baptized at the Easter Vigil or baptized at the Pentecost Vigil they would be present for the first part of the mass which consisted of uh, scripture readings and uh, uh, a number of prayers but then uh, it was considered inappropriate for them to assist at the, the uh, rest of the mass because they were catechumens but they were not uh, uh, they were not Christians yet so uh, that was the, the uh, ancient division, and uh, we remember, of course, one of the the uh, claims of the liturgical reform was that they are going to restore ancient practices. Well, this was not one that they were too interested in restoring. Instead, they replaced both of the uh, terms with liturgy of the word for the first part and liturgy of uh, the Eucharist for the second part uh so and these terms were invented terms uh one of them uh the, the liturgy of the word uh, appears for the first time as since uh, as i've been able to determine it appears for the first time in in uh, something like the 1950s and the liturgy of the eucharist i think is a Vatican II creation the um if they had decided to retain the old um, distinction between Mass of the Faithful and uh, the uh, Mass of the Catechumens, they could have restored the old formula for expulsion, which um, the ritual expulsion formula was chanted by the uh, deacon uh, uh, just before the Mass of the Faithful. And uh, it goes like this. Uh, let the heretic now depart. Let the Jew now depart. Let the pagan now depart. Let the Aryan now depart. Let him who has no business here now depart. So that's one restoration that I don't think we uh, we saw, one restoration from ancient times that they were not going to uh, treat us to in the Novus Ordo. Well, I mean, it's
1: clearly outdated as well because we haven't included the Muslims. We haven't included other people. We need to be more. We need to allow other people to also depart. So this text is clearly outdated.
0: Uh, exactly. There, there, uh, <laughs> and maybe they had difficulty finding someone to do a guitar setting for this. You know, that's just entirely <laughs> possible. So
1: I just, I've just imagined whether we're being led by the the worship babe. And we'd say some she'd say, Let the heretic now depart. And we'd say, Let the heretic now depart. I I don't really see that working very well in Nova Sorda. But
0: uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's what they had in mind for active participation. So
1: now we already have a blueprint for the destruction of the offertory. Uh, and that and we spoke about a bit about the offertory prayer in our last episode. So I, I want to speak about the fact that, that Luther really paved the way. For uh, this, should we say, destruction, rewriting, um, cover of using ancient practice, and when we think about that, what were some of the objections that Luther had to the traditional offertory father?
0: Well, the um, uh, main one was the language of sacrifice. Uh, the traditional Catholic theology of the offertory and the the uh, and this was reflected in the prayers, uh, in effect, uh, started the beginning of the of, of, uh, sacrifice of the Mass, and alluded to what was going to uh, take place uh, w- once the uh, uh, bread and wine were consecrated in the body and blood of Christ. So Luther objected to the idea of uh, the Mass as a sacrifice, and um wanted to get rid of those prayers that clearly ref- reflected that and that was the case with the offertory he said that it's uh he called it in fact an abomination uh the uh, uh, that from that point onward uh everything in the rite uh, stinks of sacrifice he said also it was a priestly uh, rite it was something that was conducted uh, by the priest and that also was objectionable as uh, as well. And then the idea that it anticipated the consecration, one of the authors said, in the miracle of the Mass. So all of these things were repugnant to uh, Luther's system.
1: So what would you replace it with? Well, if you're going to get rid of these very old prayers, what has to take the place of it? And, and what's the change in... In meaning if we're not going to talk about it as a sacrifice what what do we need to talk about it as?
0: okay so you 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 start out you look at in in effect the uh pattern that luther established and he simply abolished everything and uh, uh in the way of prayers and uh just instructed the minister in his 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 right to uh prepare the uh, uh to prepare the bread and wine so you have to if you're going to have uh, some sort of type of Eucharistic service, you have to have the bread and the wine prepared somehow. So that's your your basic um your your sort of lower level uh the, the lowest level possible. Uh initially uh that was the uh idea of the reformers of the uh creators of the new mass that you just uh you just go with that, with that uh as it were, utilitarian approach the um uh, so the uh, you replace it with something, and uh, you have a number of different options and one of the things that you replace it with is this idea that well maybe it's it's an action that is performed by the laity by members of the laity, so they maybe bring up uh the offering they maybe bring up uh the um uh, uh bread and the wine but uh, in terms of a uh, any historical justification for that, uh, there really isn't. There are a number of pre-Vatican II authors who examined that particular question, came to that conclusion that there's no justification for referring to the uh, uh, offertory as essentially a lay right. So you have to do something with it. So, But that's the minimum. Prepare what's Prepare the gifts, which is what they called the section of the sordo.
1: So, if you're if you're preparing the gifts, you have to have this this sort of prayer. And as we said, we we lost the ancient prayers that had been around. They they weren't good enough, or as you say, they stunk of sacrifice. They anticipated the sacrifice. So, where were our sources for these so-called reformers? We always we use the term reformers in quotes, of course, because that's what they like to call themselves. But really, they are destroyers what were what were these so-called reformers looking to in terms of inspiration
0: for their their new text? well typically how they would operate uh with um the creation of new texts uh would be that they would look for something in um uh, an ancient sacramentary a sacramentary being a uh book that contains uh, various prayers Uh, various ritual prayers of the church, they would look for something in uh, these ancient books and these ancient sources, and they would uh, try to take it. Sometimes they would take it whole. Other times they would uh, modify it in uh, light of their own uh, theology, in light of the, the modernist theology. But they faced a problem with the uh replacing the traditional offertory prayers. Uh and this was something that I found particularly interesting in the uh as I was researching the book, uh that uh, if you uh, look at the alternatives for the traditional Catholic offertory prayers, what was used in the, um the, those that were used in different medieval rites of the church, and uh, uh, all of these these pre-existing prayers, you see that all of them mention this notion of sacrifice in the beginning of the sacrifice. It's absolutely astounding. So the reformers then faced a uh, problem because there was nothing uh, that there was no text that was in use somewhere that uh, they uh, that they could take because it all all. All of them reflected the ideas that they wanted out, that they wanted to uh, remove. So uh, then the question was, well, do we have any prayers at all, or uh, do we invent something new? Well, initially they had the idea of saying nothing at all, that the priest uh, would just um, receive the bread and wine from uh you know little little Stephen Heiner who comes up in the procession and the priest would would uh, solemnly place them on the altar saying nothing and then would uh, recite what was called the secret uh, prayer which is now said out loud the prayer over the gifts however um it occurred to someone that um uh, clergy being clergy then many of them would just sort of rush through this and um, uh, uh, just sort of plop the things on the altar and go on to the next prayer. So the Reformers uh, decided to create like a speed bump, a ritual speed bump for this in the form of a couple of prayers for the priest to pray to slow him down, but they um and the thing is, you're laughing about this, and uh, of course, it's 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 perfectly crazy. But um, I uh, got this out of a, a, a series of documents that eventually were published by someone who was involved in the production of the new Offertory. Right? See, he 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 said that you know it, it was. Um, I forget exactly what the Italian phrase was, but they they, they were afraid that the pre- priest would do it. Uh, you know, in 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 uh, little a bit of a too stressed or too uh uh quick uh, too quick way. so uh, they decided a speed bump so what do they do um they cast around and they uh find a beracha a Jewish prayer that's set at the seder meal and they uh, take this this particular seder prayer and uh Paul VI then gets in on the act, and he says that, well, he likes very much this idea that he's read in Teilhard de Chardin about uh, man's work uh, becoming part of the matter for the sacrifice and being offered to to God at the Mass. So why don't you make that idea uh, a part of it? So they put that in.
1: Initially, that would be like a work of human
0: hands sort of thing. As it were, this, I, I've heard that somewhere. It's a uh, work of human hands. And it's actually, the, the source for that is a an essay by Teilhard de Chardin called The, the uh, Mass on the Earth. And you can find these these passages in it. The work of human hands, as it were, becomes the matter for the sacrifice. It, the, uh, one of the first texts, while well, it had that in, at least um mentioned the two ideas that that um okay this will become the body of Christ and this will become the blood of Christ however the uh revisers uh deleted that phrase from the text of the offertory prayers the the new text and put in instead uh, uh, uh spiritual food and spiritual drink so that is, uh, in a nutshell, which I suppose where it deserves to be, the history of the new offertory prayers, those those texts, the blessed are you, uh, Lord God, it's, it's now Lord God of the universe. Well, it's certainly short enough
1: to fit in a nutshell, Father, so I don't think it needs much more room than that. <laughs> no, it doesn't.
0: Well, so that's, where, uh, that's where, the origin
1: where... of those prayers. So, we've been talking about the the black. we talk about you know do the red, uh, say the black. What about the rubrical changes at this time? So obviously, there's been a textual change, but what were some of the the rubrical changes that can also clue us into what's happening
0: okay the um, uh, if you look closely at the traditional mess, it's uh, there's a whole series of manual actions and complex gestures that the uh, that the priest performs he has a um, so for instance when he takes the uh, excuse me when he takes the pattern uh, and raises it up a little bit uh, over the altar his eyes go up to the crucifix and the idea with a little gesture like that is that it's, it's um, uh, uh, this, the union of what you're doing with Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and you're looking up to heaven. Um, so you've got that. Uh, the priest will make the um, a, a sign of the cross over the altar with both the host and uh, with the chalice, and uh, that idea is uh, tied in with the, the sp- uh, spreading of the the blood of the sacrifice in the Old Testament over the uh, altars, the sacrifices were offered to God. One of the other things that, that um, was uh, uh, striking is that uh, you you mentioned the type of um, uh, pattern uh, that they use, which now resembles more of a, a dish or, or sort of a metallic ashtray. And uh, For this... The, uh, please? I was saying a frisbee. Oh, a frisbee. Yes, that's right. A frisbee in fact. The ultimate frisbee. So this um is um a large dish type of a container and the idea there is of course the uh this relentless emphasis on the meal aspect. Uh and the pattern on the old in the old rite, was small enough is hidden in effect under the corporal or taken off by the subdeacon, and part of that, uh, part of the symbolism of that, was the idea that um, the host remains on the altar itself, uh, resting on the corporal in the altar for the sacrificial part, and only at the communion, at the banquet part of the mass, is it transferred to this little dish. But with the Novus Ordo, it sits in the the host sits in. This uh, dish throughout the whole rite, so the, there's a um, uh, uh, there's that element also the the different gestures of of offering, raising up, um, uh, lifting your eyes up to heaven, and so on, all of these uh, gestures were tied in with the the idea of an offertory and of that we're starting the sacrifice now. those have all been gone. Those have all been removed you know Father, as I was
1: preparing for today's show i i I think I, I took a special note of the fact that, despite the fact that we know the the pattern goes underneath the corporal and we we see that every time we're at mass that as i as I reread this chapter, I realized what care the church takes to differentiate this from a meal that you can't even have it visible that the priest is entirely focused on this host, on the corporal, and that, you know, you you cover it um, so that you can't see it. And as you say, it's at high Mass, it's even removed, so it's not even on the altar. And that the Church is, in that particular aspect, you could say taking a special care not to let anyone think we're simply reenacting the Last Supper, but that this is really the, uh, the sacrifice. And I think that seeing that, I don't think that's maybe something that, that Novosordos think about. At least I certainly didn't even think about it when I was in Novosordo, uh when I was in the Novosordo that that having it, the patent uh with the host there continuously, that there's never any change, really does give you subconsciously that idea of a meal. The food is always in the dish. And you would never take it out of the dish. That doesn't make
0: any sense. Uh, yeah, and uh that actually was was a a, a point when uh, i was in the the modern seminary there was a point one of the points of the changes that that struck me that this is this is somehow different this is is um, uh, symbolically is telling me uh you know a different story as it were is pointing me at uh, something else i remember the appearance of these these awful dish-like patterns and, and thinking that uh, there's something wrong with that it, this is an illustration. Your reaction is an illustration, and mine is an um, uh, illustration of the truth that these li- little uh, details of uh, the sacred liturgy, the church's uh, liturgies, convey a, a, a theological idea, and uh, so th- that for the Catholic, it's not just words that uh, appeal uh, to the uh, the intellect and to the head, but uh, and to the ears, but it's something that you see with your eyes that reinforces the um, uh, the truths that that are expressed in the sacred liturgy. In fact, the um, uh, the quote that I put on the the back of work of human hands was from uh, uh, Antonelli. Uh, eventually Cardinal Antonelli, who who, uh, was involved in the liturgical reforms. Uh, And he said, in the liturgy, every word and every gesture conveys a theological idea. And that's exactly what you see. Uh, That's exactly what you see in the traditional rite. And that's what you see in the changes of ritual that are embodied in the new rite. Well, and as you
1: say, the details are what matter, and we can't go too much into this. Uh, I again as always recommend that you read Father's books you can get all the details. We can't do all of that in, in a one hour radio episode. But there's a part of the uh the preparation of the chalice that's omitted. Can you speak about that, Father? the the, the first part that exists in the traditional mass that no longer exists in the sordo.
0: Yeah, the um well of course both use the um uh, both both rites still retain the idea of the, the water and uh, the wine uh in the um uh novus ordo the the uh, prayer which i believe was initially from the gelasian sacramentary was uh, radically uh radically shortened but then you have the uh the gesture uh you have several gestures connected with that you have the uh w- when the chalice is, is uh, brought to the center of the altar uh the priest makes this uh, uh, does the offering gesture holding his his eyes up again to the cross uh and then uh brings the chalice down to the altar and again makes the sign of uh, the cross over uh, the altar with the chalice again, symbolizing the, the spreading of the the, of the blood on the sacrifice. So all of that reinforces the theology that's uh, the theology that's expressed in the text. And uh, I mean, uh, even little, uh, seemingly picky details that go along with it. The um, uh, uh, chalice is is covered by a pall. Uh, piece of, of stiffened linen, and the idea is, uh, since it's it's going to be uh, consecrated, become the the uh, blood of our blessed Lord, that it doesn't, um, you don't want anything to uh, anything as it were profane to uh, to fall into it. So it's all of this these these little expressions of uh, reverence for what is happening and what's going to happen. Well, and another, you could say,
1: radical deletion is to change what well, we would normally consider the lavabo in the traditional mass because it's part of a psalm. Uh, that's completely cut out, and we're down to uh, just a few few uh, phrases.
0: Yeah, the uh, you're down there to the idea that we have uh, is one little verse from psalm. Uh, from Psalm 50, "Wash me from my iniquity, O Lord, and cleanse me from my sin." And whereas before you had the you had the entire psalm, uh, or you had a, a section rather, Psalm 25, um, but the um, that contained a whole number of uh, uh, ideas that were not acceptable to uh, modernist theology the idea of, of evil in the world, the desire for innocence, uh, etc. And uh, so you, uh, all of that was swept away, and this was done by the uh, men who told us that they were going to make the liturgy more scriptural, but of course ended up making it less scriptural. Well,
1: and you, you only wash your hands after you've done an insensation, uh, of the altar, but you, you don't really do that that often in the Novus Ordo. You only save that for special days. I think, Father, you remarked that that would include some sort of work for the priest, and you, you want to avoid that. <laughs> but I thought it was, it was re- remarkable that it wasn't until 1978 that someone asked, uh, what should you do for incensation rubrics? That there wasn't anything uh, there, and should we use the old one? And of course, this was not to be done. Can you speak a little bit about the the incense changes? The incensation well, changes, I should say.
0: <laughs> everything with the, uh, there's at Salomai Mass or at the Missa Cantata with incense, there's a whole big ceremony for that. Um, the um, uh, incense is is brought to the celebrant. And he uh, blesses it with a prayer that mentions the angels and, and the, our prayers rising to heaven. then he does a, uh, a three signs of the cross and three circles over the oblata, that's over the bread or wine. And uh, then um, with an accompanying prayer, then proceeds to incense the crucifix, and he relics on the altar. And then the uh, altar uh, itself, uh, reciting a prayer um uh, portion of, of the psalm uh, uh dear let my prayer be directed before thy sight as incense, O Lord. So th- this is a uh uh fairly complicated. and the novel sort of they tend, first of all generally tended to ju- uh, to dump anything that was complicated and symbolic. Uh so uh, also the new rite, um, as one of its its authors said, pays no attention to relics, so you never have relics on the altar in the Novus Ordo. Certainly, uh, never relics exposed. So that part of it has to go. Uh, there is no uh, particular um, direction given to how you should, if you do use incense, how you should use it in the Novus Ordo. So that uh, that uh, particular rubric was gone, and certainly all of the different prayers. Uh, the blessing of the incense, et cetera, all of these uh, things were uh, were gone because, again, it uh, struck people as a little too priestly, a little too spiritual, a little too symbolic, a little too otherworldly. So uh, this this whole complex of, of uh, gestures went out the window. What I said about the um, uh, how rare the use of incense was. Uh, that's actually based on my own experience. I was a, a church organist, and I would go to—I um, uh, would be asked to substitute at a lot of uh, different churches uh, in the archdiocese. And this was um, uh, this was the use of incense was something that was uh, never done, uh, except uh, in my experience, except for Christmas, uh, and that seemed to be the, the only time it was ever done. So it was, was just considered a little bit too symbolic, a little bit too old church uh, to do.
1: I think it's one of the things I, I so often enjoy about visiting churches here in Europe, Father, is that almost anywhere you go, the building's so old, it smells like incense. <laughs> incense was used so often over the centuries that it just permeates. You You, you get in, you smell candle smoke and incense and centuries. And it's a it's a wonderful unfortunately in, in the case of Europe, it's a wonderful reminder of days gone past. Uh it's not a it's not a living memory, but it's still it's still something that uh can really hit home.
0: I remember one of our parishioners in um uh, a new parishioner in New York telling us that for the first time she visited when I was at Oyster Bay, that she was struck when she came into the church by the old smell she grew up with a kid, which was incense and which was candle wax, uh, the distinctive smell of the inside of a Catholic church. Mm,
1: indeed. Uh, speaking of distinctive, uh, the Pray brethren the, the Arate Fratres, I remember, and I've alluded to this uh, several times, Father, that when I, I often say that when I was, my time at the Norbertines was when I became radicalized. Prior to this, I was just a regular old conservative Novus Ordo. And the Norbertines don't realize that when you introduce black vestments and incense and mass and Latin to, uh, to these young, uh, young conservatives that you, you radicalize them into, into raving trash. And I remember the first time that Father Pryor, uh, I the, the different priests, are 45 or so priests at the Abbey, and so different ones would, would say the conventional Mass. And for the first time ever, Father Pryor was saying Mass for the, the high schoolers. And he said, uh, and because he, he was saying the Mass in English that day, um, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable. And I was just shocked. I, I remember picking up the missalette and flipping to that section, and I looked down and thought, oh, that's an option. And um, inside, I was like, yeah, that's right. My sacrifice and yours. And I was just thinking of, you know, 15 year old kid, you're like, sure. very excited that he used this really orthodox option or, or you considered orthodox, but that you were rejoicing that there was this distinction being made that you didn't even know. It, it was always the first person plural when you're out in the parishes. And I remember thinking this was really neat. But there it is, just that distinction between two sacrifices happening. And this corporate, our sacrifice, again, ties back to everything we've been talking about in today's episode and in the chapter. The notion, the changing of the offertory as something that the priest is doing as part of the sacrifice, and something that we, the faithful, have to do together with the priest in order to make it valid. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the... yeah, your your uh, experience as a a, a young uh, a traditionalist jihadi at the uh, Norbertines with the, <laughs> Norbert <teams.
1: laughs>
0: it, it, with it the Father Retros about. of my day. Yeah, the right. fa- Father Retros. Uh, so this this was uh, this was the original formula, but it was actually it was never directed towards the people. Uh, that's another uh, fallacy of the uh, liturgical movement that. Uh, The the prayer was done sotto voce, and it was directed toward the priests around the altar, the clergy around the altar. So you never had the um, uh, you never had this uh, directed to the congregation in the ancient church. And uh, when they talk about uh, there's another phrase in the canon that was misused, the idea of the circumstantes, those who are standing around. Well, I remember the, the. uh, liturgical crazies in, in uh, my own uh, jihadi days, uh, saying that, well, this this meant that in the Christian church everyone stood around the altar the, uh, for Mass, but that, of course, is entirely false. It was an anachronism, and the Circumstantes referred to the members of the clergy, in fact. So um, in the uh, meum o'ecvestrum sacrificium, my sacrifice and yours, is uh, indeed one of the options in uh, the Novus Ordo. However, it is an option, and this is one of those places in the new rite where uh, it's an introduction to a prayer, and you are uh, permitted to uh, rephrase it as you see fit, to adapt it to um, uh, you know local circumstances, etc. So this is another one of those those deregulated. Uh, Parts of the new mass that open things up to uh, uh, you know just about anything. <laughs> so.
1: Well, and after the Arate Fratres, we move on to something called the Secret, and I I remember being surprised uh, again. I suppose a the theology of surprise that there was such a thing as the as a secret. And when I was flipping through a traditional hand missile for the first time, I was what is the secret? And why is it called the secret? I think that was immediately framed to my mind because there are no secrets in the Novus Ordo. I mean, absolutely <laughs> none. So it didn't even compute for me what this could possibly be. And so Novus Ordos who are listening to this program, this is what we would call the prayer over the gift. And it used to be called the secret. And, Father, can you explain to us you know, why the secret? And again, it wasn't just a change in title. We weren't just calling, changing the name secret to the name prayer over the gift, but you have to change the wording and the
0: theology as well. So the um, if you see the um, – it is uh, the equivalent of the prayer over the gifts, what be called the prayer over the gifts in the Novus Ordo, which is, is said, which is recited uh, aloud in the um, – about I think about the eighth century, seventh uh, or eighth century, this uh, prayer uh, started to be recited in a uh, in a more subdued voice and and not chanted aloud. The uh, uh, liturgical historians aren't exact aren't exactly. Uh, sure about the circumstances that, that prompted this, but in any event, it was a practice since about the eighth century in the church. Uh, as you say, the idea w- that um, everything has to be uh, said aloud, or as much of the r- the right as possible, has to be said aloud. To um, uh, in uh, the Novus Ordo naturally dictated that they would recite this particular. Uh, prayer-aloud, or its equivalent at the Novus Ordo. So it became the the prayer over the gifts, and uh, as was the case with the collect of the modern Mass, of, of the Mass of Paul VI, that here, here too, there were, um the texts of these variable prayers, uh, which varied from feast to feast and, and Sunday to Sunday, uh, had to be uh, brought into line and accommodated to uh, the dictates of modern theology as well, in effect, modernist theology. So, you, you, the the, the tone of voice uh, in which these were said was changed, and then the content of them was was changed as well.
1: Well, and with that, you know, we are right at the doorstep of the. What the Novus Ordo calls the Eucharistic Prayer, and what we would know in the traditional Mass as as the Canon. And if you have that feeling of dread, dear listeners, it's it's not a false feeling. We we know we're getting probably to the very worst part of it all. So up to this point, we've been preparing, I think, for what will come. And and our next episode will will be much longer. Not only because it's maybe some would argue the most important chapter in Father's book, but it's it's quite a long chapter. So I'm not going to try to attempt to cover it in one hour. We may go into to overdrive and, and spend uh, maybe 90 minutes or so on it. But Father, as you're reflecting on this, did you, did you have any particular stories? as? Because uh, I noticed that you had, had put that some people brought up uh, some other things during the lay offertory they would bring up some sort of picture and i i thought wow this i'd never even heard of this before
0: oh um, why, and i thought of stories i like
1: thought that. it <laughs> i thought it experienced some radical things but people would bring up things other than the bread and the wine
0: oh yeah you you would have what were called symbolic offertory processions uh and um you know so at a funeral uh the not only the bread and wine would be brought up but uh, also symbolic things so um in the if Dad was a golfer, someone would bring up a oh, no. uh, golf club, oh no, and <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and say that well, you know thanksgiving for Dad, um you know everything that he did um uh, he was he was a great golfer and now he's golfing with Saint Peter in heaven on the links in heaven, and everyone would laugh, et cetera, and so we're presenting uh this this golf club, and then uh, well, maybe Dad was also a uh, dad was good at the grill. Uh, barbecuing things, so maybe a little hibachi grill would be taken up the aisle uh, with some uh, <laughs> with some wieners to roast on it, and someone would say that, well, you know, may the the, the, the the he enjoy an eternal picnic in heaven. So that's the sort of stuff that would go on, and of course, it's absolutely absurd. It's it's the, the liturgy as as uh, uh bad theater and as as lowest. Um, common denominator that was very um uh, i don't know how much that's done anymore but i mean that was fairly uh fairly common uh was a fairly common experience i remember the novus ordo in 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 different churches this this uh fake offertory procession now of course the whole thing is fake um uh, which one should mention at the end we uh, we started out by talking about how the um uh, we all remember bringing up the so-called gifts uh, in the Novus Ordo, uh, the little procession there, but that's a totally fake ceremony um, and a totally fake restoration. Uh, the uh, if anything, in the few places where uh, lay people did this, it was bread and wine that they they uh, produced themselves. And it was sort of in the form of a, a collection, as it were, for the clergy, to the support of the clergy of the church. So sometimes they would bring up uh, bread and wine and uh, candles. Uh, so that was their, their, their uh, you know, equivalent of, uh, of money. But uh, in any event, it was stuff you produce yourself. But in the Novus Ordo, of course, it's just a, it's totally fraudulent because the. A sacristan of the church, or the, the chief worship minister, uh, uh, puts out this stuff at the back, puts out the host and the patent and the wine at the back, so it comes out there from the sacristy, and then someone walks it up the aisle. So it makes like a little circle, uh, and it's a completely, uh, uh, completely uh, fake bit of play acting. So there's a lot of that in the Zorro.
1: Right, and I I think um, at least in the days when your parents would buy gifts for you to give to your grandparents because, you know, you couldn't afford, at least there was something there that, hey, I couldn't afford to buy a gift or I'm a little kid and I don't know here yeah, this isn't your gift to grandma. In this case, as you pointed out, that quote that every gesture, every signification in a true mass has importance, that this is totally out of joint with what a regular Catholic Catholicism doesn't have these play-acting things, every gesture, every significance. When the subdeacon takes that plate, as you say, it dates back to the 7th century. It There's a particular reason for that. That's the, You're not just handing some bread to somebody so that they can bring it around to the back of the church and then bring it up front. When they didn't make the bread, they don't have anything to do with it. They were just some people who are going to bring it back up. As you say, it's,
0: it's not a really meaningful procession. Uh, no, it isn't. And remember, these are the people who uh, we were talking all the time about authentic liturgy. You have to have liturgy that's really authentic. I remember hearing that time in and time out. We've got to have authentic liturgy. But what they ended up with is, as Dom Granger uh, said, you know, these people talk about restoring iniquity, uh, in, in, uh, in antiquity, and I guess end up producing <laughs> iniquity. So uh, they, they, they end up producing something that's totally new. Mm.
1: I think you were right on when
0: you said restoring iniquity as well. I, I, I that's that's a uh, I would say that that's a, that's a happy slip of the tongue. <laughs> right,
1: we would say that's a liturgical slip. Uh, yeah, indeed.
0: that's right. <laughs> um,
1: well, Father, is there anything else that you'd like to to mention that you don't think that uh, we covered? Obviously, there's there's lots of details that we we couldn't get into today, and we encourage people to read this as a like chapter eleven again a uh, new offering, a uh, part of Father's Working in human hands, which is, uh, again, available at sggresources.org. Anything that you wanted to cover, Father, that we well, didn't talk about? Just
0: that, I mean, uh, theologically, it's really packed, uh, the, the the traditional offertory rite. And uh, the uh, uh, symbolism, the food for meditation, uh, uh, and so on, there's there's just really so much to it. It doesn't take very long at the traditional Mass, but if you you examine all of the of the text and all the symbolism there's um uh, you know enough to keep you going just in the offertory for meditations for months one of the things that that I would recommend is gear his holy sacrifice in the mass he has a a very nice uh treatment of the liturgical and the the ascetical um Meaning of the different parts of the mass, and he has a wonderful treatment of the offertory with a lot of quotes from spiritual writers and the fathers of the church. so I would highly recommend that uh, you get hold of that book it's readily available, and um, you know use that as as a way of trying to understand the traditional offertory uh, of the mass and as as uh, food for meditation.
1: Well, I think that's a great place for us to end. Father, we're we're in June as we record this. What's the latest at SGG and at SGG Resources?
0: Well, the uh, latest is that uh, I just recently put out a forty-three minute film called "Stuck in a Rut: uh, Anti-Savvicanism in the Era of Bergoglio," and this discusses the uh, reactions one. Uh, has been getting from the R&R camp, the Recognize and Resist camp, like the Pious 10 Society, the Remnant um, Catholic Family News, Bishop Williamson, and so on. Uh, Their reaction against the, the sort of the rise of satietyism in the area of Bergoglio, because the the guy is so outrageous that um, uh, un, uh, unlike his his uh, predecessors who gave. Uh, a pious and occasionally a, uh, a traditional impression, this guy seems like a, a, really like a madman. And so people are starting seriously to consider the idea that maybe he's not the Pope, he's not a real poet, Pope after all. So the this has is, is led those traditional Catholics who um, are opposed to the state of the contest to put out a couple more uh articles uh trying to refute the principles behind our position so what i do is 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 i uh handle a number of the objections they present in this film and i show people where they are wrong and so far we've gotten a, a very good number of views and very positive reactions on the film so it's 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 on my work of human hands channel on youtube
1: very negative, Father, to say that you you know some people could be
0: wrong and that you might be right,
1: you know, as if there's only one truth. Uh,
0: yeah, we well, there, to there, to there's there's a whole truths. you know uh, uh, this whole spectrum of of different truths, and and we're going from truth to truth every day, in in our uh, <laughs> uh, in our uh, cruise ship, in our historical cruise cruise ship of theological truth, but. uh <laughs> The cruise ship in the mold of
1: the Titanic, I, I'm sure. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, speak, speaking of truth, so, uh, we're coming up on the end of the school year and the seminary year for you, I'm assuming. So you might have the truth of some little vacation or, or break up ahead for you?
0: Uh, yes, in fact, uh, I was very fortunate to uh, have um, uh, finished my courses at the seminary a little earlier. So the only thing that remains is is an exam for them, and they get, they will, uh, that I have already sent to them. So we will see how they do on their liturgy exam uh, to be continued. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll
1: see if they make it to the other side. Indeed. Well, as always, Father, thanks so much for your time, and we look forward to having you on for the, the
0: jumbo episode that will be our next one. Fantastic. Nice talking with you, Stephen. God bless you all. Thank you, Father. We want to remind
1: you, if you've got any questions for Father, truerestoration.org will be the place where you can send them, and uh, that'll help you uh, if you have any questions for this episode, if you have questions about future topics we'll cover. As you know, we're going to continue on. Uh, we only have a few episodes left of Work with Human Hands because we only have a few chapters left. So as always, I encourage you, the best way to deal, the best way to experience this series is to get the book, read the chapter, then listen to the podcast because you're going to have father tell some additional stories that, that he just didn't have in the book. And that's a, a great compliment to it. You can go the other way as well. You can listen to the episode and and that might perk your interest in, in getting the book, but I would tell you it's your responsibility really to know the changes in the new mask. Well, because there's no way that either you're going to help your Novus Ordo friends or those of you who are in the Novus Ordo, that you're really going to understand what all the questions are about, so that when people start asking you, oh, well, you're just caught up in the smells and the bells and the organ music, you say, well, it's actually quite a bit more than that. And this book will give you that ammunition, that historical context, and the scholarship, all of the footnotes that you can use to look it up, because I always say don't take Father Chicano's word for it. You can look up all the citations. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.
0: This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's watch.org.